Hi, the Zickland peoples. You're listening to Your Morning Jacket. Uh, I mean, Your Morning Joe. Uh, damn, obviously, you're listening to the Your Morning Coffee podcast with Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart, weekly music news for the new music business. Take it away, guys. From Rolling Stone, no shelf life now, the big business of interpolating old songs for new hits. From Anthony Pacheco and Simple Music Analytics, the definitive guide. From Musicians Union, hashtag this is not working, a call from musicians and music industry workforce for abuse to end. And from Android Authority, lossless music streaming. Do you really need it? Ooh, this one is near and dear and close to my heart. So we'll talk about that. Hey, this is episode number 57. This is the Your Morning Coffee Podcast. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Well, Jay, good morning <laughs> to you, sir. What is that? Well, football season is starting today. Yeah. I know you're excited about that, although you don't have your Minnesota Vikings shirt on. No, I don't. Not yet. Oh, not it's yet. Early. Okay, you're you're not you're not you're not all in yet. No, no, I'm I'm still trying to get my mouth to work. We barely got through that intro. I'm just trying to That's right. sip my coffee, try to get a you know a handle on things here. How are you? Man? Well, when people hear it, it will sound clean, but we'll oh, okay. just we'll just admit full disclosure that we just. <laughs> completely gagged on on all of the stuff at the beginning and then now you yeah. have to go back and fix it so it will be fixed when you hear it but it's early jay and i are are clearly not uh yeah not on our best behavior just just yet although uh, we, as we've mentioned before when we you know we we set the time for roughly 9 30 pacific to, to when we kind of start the conversation and as i'm looking at at uh, at my computer, it's ten o'clock. So we've actually already we've we've done a half a show just yapping yeah. about stuff that's happened this last week. We kind of do that every week. We do kind of. It's do always that. good to catch up. We need to uh, do cheeseburgers here again. Uh, pretty. And soon. You're right. You're right. It's getting that time without a doubt. So well, you know, before we get started, Jay, we've got to got to got to talk about our sponsors because we are the luckiest guys in podcast land because we have kick ass sponsors. Yeah, we sure do. 
And uh, I'm going to start with TiVo Music Metadata. We're sponsored by TiVo Music Metadata, which is dedicated to bringing order to the chaos of digital music. TiVo Music Metadata offers obsessively deduplicated artist, album, and song IDs, expert written editorial content and ratings, verified images, weighted deep descriptors, similar artists, band members, and influences, authoritative credits, personalization, discovery, and search APIs, purpose-built solutions for classical music, and a global connected car platform linking broadcast radio with streaming. To learn more, go over to www.tivo.com slash music and we have been big TiVo fans mm. since big I fans. met you like yeah. back in 1999. So yeah. a longtime uh, fan of that company. So really too. pleased to have them. Yeah, me too. Your, uh, your Morning Coffee podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle. Built by musicians for musicians, Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All of the features that you need for a professional website, they're already built in. Hosting, custom domain names, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to help you sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com, try it for free for 30 days. Just use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, and you'll get 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, promo code MORNINGCOFFEE. And we are also sponsored by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It is edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Owen Davis. HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. And yes, Bands in Town, over 55 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It is the number one artist service platform connecting over 530,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Big thanks to Bands in Town, Hypebot, Bandzoogle, and TiVo Music Metadata. By the way, um, speaking of uh, our, our great sponsors, um, when you were mentioning bands in town, there's a story in your morning coffee you got to check out. They have this new kind of smart URL for tour dates that's in your morning coffee this week. Mm -hmm. Check it out. It's super okay. cool. Yeah. And I and speaking of tour dates, I went to my first indoor concert uh, ah, last, last do, week. Do yeah. tell. I went and saw uh, Lucas Nelson and the Promise of the Real at uh, the Little Ventura Theater, which is which is you know just a little bit north of you, a little bit south of me. And, How many people uh, does that seat roughly? Oh, it's got to be about. Yeah, I'm going to probably guess 500, something okay. like that. Um, indoors. Uh, it was indoors, yeah. And so they, they were, it was, uh, you had to show proof of vaccination with your ID or a COVID test, I think from that day, a, oh, a negative wow. COVID test. But it, it, from what I, and they were really on it. So it's a, it, people kind of line up on the sidewalks and it's, it's, a, it's a relatively small area. And so the tour buses are kind of there parked on the sidewalk or near the sidewalk. And then everybody's lined up next to them. And, but they probably had about six people from the venue walking down and looking at your ID, looking at your, at your proof of vaccination. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then I was, you know, I was probably about a third of the people inside that were actually masking up as well. But I felt pretty comfortable with, with the level of, of, um, 
of of not security really, but the level with which they were checking everybody. And, oh, that's uh, good. It was a great show. Lucas Nelson, killer killer band, and it was a fun show. But anyway, awesome. interesting. My first indoor show. So ah, uh, that's uh, good to hear. I was supposed to see a show Friday night. I'm gonna go see a uh, a date later on the tour. I'm just I'm not quite I'm not quite there yet. Okay, I told. I mean, I have seen. Remember, I went to Michigan, saw the uh, Accidentals, but that was outside, and I'm not quite there yet. But I do have some shows um, coming up. Before we get going, I wanted to just touch really quickly. um, uh, This last week, um, I did an interview for the uh, Music Biz Weekly podcast with Randall Foster from um, Symphonic, Mm -hmm. and it's a simple title. It's Publishing One Hundred and One. Um, I get so many questions uh, about publishing and even people who have been in the industry a long time. It's one area uh, that is confusing um, on a well, lot of and different levels. And we have talked, um, uh, I think, it, it, periodically in, on, on different podcasts about how when we were in the recorded music industry, so we worked for labels, and it was like... The publishing guys, you knew where their offices and their buildings were, but it was just almost like two separate businesses. And, and yeah. most people that started in one stayed in one. You didn't see people jumping between publishing and yeah. recorded music. And so, and it's the oldest side of the business, without a doubt. You know, it goes back to the late 1800s. Um, and so it is, there's a lot to know. And, and, and publishing is kind of a mystery. By the way, the chap that I get to chat with every Who, week. me? Yeah, exactly. That guy, uh, Jay Gilbert, he is the curator of the Your Morning Coffee newsletter, which, I mean, you have to know by now, is weekly music news for the new music business, and a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, Warner Music, and Fox Home Entertainment, and he is optimistic about the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> hope, hope springs eternal, right? Yes. Uh, and my good friend Mike here is a longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, capital EMI, and Universal Music. Yes, way back in the day, way uh, back in the day. So, well, let us jump in, Jay. And, you know, the first thing we're going to talk about, the first article, we could probably do an entire hour show on this. It's from Rolling Stone. No shelf life now. The big business of in- interpolating, which yes. I had mispronounced, um, old songs for new hits. And when you... When you think about it, this is the flip side of what we've been talking about since we've started, or, or this is kind of the, the other shoe falling for what we've been talking about since we started the podcast yeah. and all of the the acquisitions of publishing catalogs. Right. And, and just and, for people who don't know, uh, you know, like what are interpolations? And hopefully we're pronouncing this right. And if we're not, I'm sure somebody will tell us. Interpolations. <laughs> um, as a musical concept, interpolations are a cousin to sampling. The art of sticking sound snippets of older songs into new projects that has been defined, you know, much of hip hop, rather than lifting or modifying a recorded track, though, an interpolation cribs only from the song's written composition, whether that's lyric, melody, riff, or beat. And I listened to some of the songs that they were talking about in in this piece in Rolling Stone, um, which was written by uh, Ethan Millman, um, and you. Think of it in terms of they're just taking the melody, basically, um, of a song and kind of writing a song around that melody. And they're paying the publishing on it. So they're giving credit where credit is due. But it's not sampling where they go and actually take a piece of that recorded master and add it to their master. Right. But it is essentially the... 
uh, yeah, so sampling is 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 of the domain of recorded music. Yeah, interpolation is in the domain of music publishing, and so like you said, you know, see these companies right. have gone in and they've acquired all these catalogs, and they are looking to maximize their return, and so there, and this kind of starts off by talking about a. Um, kind of a workshop where they got to get where where the different publishing companies and in this case i think it was primary wave right uh, they they sit down with a lot of these uh kind of hot songwriters and they kind of start the process going by say hey take this melody line or take this lyric which of course they control and put it in something contemporary and that's the and, key you just hit it that they control so yes. they'll they'll take maybe their top 40 or 50 tracks um, that they've acquired, like yep. you just touched on, you know, whether it's hypnosis or primary wave or whoever. And now in order to exploit, and I mean that in the best possible way, their sure. repertoire, they're pulling together these songwriters to write songs surrounding them. It's, it may not be evil genius, but it's genius. Well, exactly. And again, the, you know, you, when you talk about the, 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 the catalogs they have, so you know whether it's Stevie Nicks or Bob Marley, or you I mean you got some serious assets yeah. that, that they want to basically, as you say, you know, maximize the, the profits. And and of course, because they own the copyrights, they are very clearable, and and so that is kind of you know the way they're doing it. And they get revenue on the new songs if they're signed songwriters, have credits on the tracks, and in interpolations and samples often drive streams. To the original material to boot, so you're, yeah. it's kind of getting a double uh, boost. So you yeah. get you've got a, this new copyright basically, and yet it also informs and and gets people interested in the original one. So, yeah, and it's so instantly familiar when you hear these right. songs. It's not like hearing a brand new song that you've never heard. There's mm-hmm. some familiarity already with this new song, and. and what I thought was just amazing for one of these little kind of writing camps is they were talking about uh, Closing Time, you know, Semisonic, oh, yeah. written by Dan Wilson, you know, mm-hmm. that big 90s hit. You know, Primary Wave, you know, owns that. And that was one of their top uh, covered songs. Um, at one point during these sessions, though, three different writers' rooms were simultaneously making their version of that track. Yeah, so they've got it going on, and... You know, again, that's this is the other shoe. This is this is what their nefarious plan was, which is yes, we can we can we can take these existing tracks <laughs> and through streaming, we're going to make money from publishing, yada yada yada. But now we're going to kind of do it in a different way and and interject it. And so again, you're, they're they're going to be splitting publishing on this with the other songwriters, but still yeah. a, a third of of success of something that didn't exist before. Oh yeah is is genius right and some of these songwriters are making millions of dollars off of these you know and in the industry we call that mailbox money and i looked at some of the numbers you know whether it's olivia rodrigo or ava max or lord or doja cat we're we're talking hundreds of millions of streams on on these things it's a thing it's a thing and i gotta say again this is the old guy in me coming out it's like I, i do find it a bit depressing you know because you know, when you we grew up in the era where where there was, you know, certainly songwriters got together to collaborate, but you know, it's oftentimes just a guy or a gal sitting in a room and cranking something out by themselves and, and making magic. And this seems so um, scientific, or you know, it, it, it's it, 
I, I, I totally get it. And, yeah, maybe and a little I'm, contrived in some yeah. ways. But, you know, this has always happened in the industry. I remember back in the days of you know Elvis and the Beatles. I mean, you know, John Lennon would take a Chuck Berry song and yep. basically put his own lyrics uh, over the top of it. Of course, it was a 12-bar blues progression. It wasn't, you know, something shocking or different than anything else. Um, but it's really interesting watching some of these songwriters now get some revenue, which has been yes. a real problem under streaming. You know, they, they actually talk about uh, Ava Max, you know, giving Desmond Child songwriting credit on her song King, Kings and Queens, you know, and that uses the melody of, you know, You Give Love a Bad Name by Bon Jovi, which, of course, mm -hmm. Desmond Child co-wrote. And they, they talk about all of these different songs, you know, um, that they're using these melodies like, uh, you know, Olivia Newton-John's Physical. And it, it doesn't sound um, exactly like physical. It just has that melody. And again, instantly accessible. You're like, that sounds familiar to me. Different lyrics. Yeah. Same. But it sounds familiar to you. But one, one of the things I kind of thought about, though, is, okay, so it sounds familiar to you because you were alive when Physical came out. Mm-hmm. Our daughters haven't necessarily heard physical. So, so is that so? The principal audience for a lot of these songs are potentially people that haven't heard the original song. Could so be sure. Is that is that you know is it? Does that song is it just a great melody and that's why it resonates? We know it because we knew it then. But is it still a great melody to somebody who didn't know the original? I, yeah. I don't know the answer. To well, that, I think it's, it's I think it's kind of. Both that it's people who don't know it or some that may have heard it, um, mm -hmm. you know, on a commercial or in a film or something. Sure. But the point I wanted to make is that it's not just Olivia Newton-John, Let's Get Physical. That's just one of the interpolations in that one song. There may be That's three right. or four interpolations in one song. And so you're hearing all of these semi-familiar uh, lines. But the bottom line, I think, is that they're proven and they're melodic and they were successful at one point and they're just bringing it back, almost like when a band does a cover tune. It's yeah. different, but it's similar in that, you know, um, when a band does a cover tune, they're they're standing on the shoulders of giants. Yes, yeah. So it's... it's um one of the things that also kind of uh, I, I noticed here, they, so they talk about um, uh, Doja Cat had some sort of a TikTok um, video that wasn't released. And so uh, Justin Shukat, who is the Primary Waves president, went to the team, the Doja Cat team, to, to, and, and kind of asked them to, to release that particular song. It's called Freak, which coincidentally, not coincidentally, of course, uh, samples and interpol interpolates uh, Paul Anka's song, Put Your Head on My Shoulder. Now, that's a song that came out in the early 60s. Mm -hmm. Not surprisingly, they took a, a stake in uh, Paul Anka's catalog a couple of years ago. And even though Doja Cat didn't have plans to release the song, it went viral. And out it goes, and so 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 you've got Primary Wave kind of searching the landscape to see who's using their stuff, whether it's released or not. Maybe it's just on the socials, and kind of reaching out and saying, "Hey, why don't you release that?" And smart. Um, very smart. And we very, talk about TikTok a lot. And in your morning coffee this week, there's two articles on TikTok because the viewership of TikTok is now surpassing YouTube. Mm -hmm. Think about that for a second. That's huge. In how much time? I mean, yeah. you know, YouTube's been around for a very long time, and to, yeah. to kind of come up like that, it's unbelievable. So yeah, and we've noticed um, lately there's been a lot. Like Olivia Rodrigo was in the news last week 
for basically crediting several artists as uh, writers of the mm-hmm. track because of interpolations. And some would argue in here that she didn't need to on some of them, but you know, her, you know, in particular, she's been kind of, uh, you know, leading the charge, you know, with her album Sour. Uh, she interpolated the Taylor Swift track Cruel Summer for her single Deja Vu, but she mm-hmm. gave Swift, uh, Jack Antonoff, and St. Vincent writing credits on the song after it came out. Later, she also gave Paramore's Haley Williams and Josh Farrell publishing rights on Good For You. After many fans pointed out, there were similarities between Rodrigo's tune and uh, their classic misery business. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, again, it's, it's, if you really look it, it's, and, and you, you have the skill to want to kind of recognize melodies and things like that. Um, it's hard to be original. You know, it's hard to, to not, uh, you know, somewhere there's always, whether it's a chord progression, whether it's a melody line, you, you know, there, there have been others before that, that will have almost, elements of that same yeah, thing without without nefarious you know reasons it's just mm-hmm. you're only t- more or less talking about 12 tones and you know and and how you put them together it's you know you've got a hundred years of, of published music well yeah you might bump into it but the, one of the <laughs> things the article mentioned is that the uh it's getting a little bit easier to do this in terms of you know fewer and fewer people are kind of suing and they they mentioned the um uh, the Stairway to Heaven lawsuit that that um, well, right. it, whatever happened with that? Did it? It's finally yeah yeah. But anyway, then the blurred lines thing, the Marvin Gaye estate uh, suing that. But it's it's but the, those the, they didn't give credit and they didn't pay the publishing true. right. And if you give credit, even if you think that it may be similar, I think that's where that safety net uh, falls. I would love to be a fly on the wall with some of these writing camps. To see oh, how these yeah. things work, because I've been involved in some of those in the past, and I will tell you that songwriting is—it's an art, it's a skill. Um, there's a really great um, documentary that we mentioned one episode. Um, it, it's called "It All Begins with a Song," and you can see it on Amazon oh, yeah. Prime. In fact, Nashville—if you go to their website, their tourism website—they use that as a tool on their tourism website because Nashville is the epicenter for for songwriters. And I can tell you from watching that documentary and watching people, you know, like Brett James, uh, a client, a friend, you know, who's written 500 songs for other artists in his career. He's had like 35 number one hits, including co-writing Jesus Take the Wheel with Carrie Underwood or for Carrie Underwood. So you're watching him in this documentary, come to work, turn on the coffee, Yes. write songs and then at night he goes home that's his job yeah. and it there's such an art to it and and the other thing about you know the songwriting side is we looked you and I were talking about I think last week um you look at the hot 100 and each one of those songs I think the average co-writes was like 4.5 or something like that that's the average yeah it's gone are the days of written by Bob Dylan, you know, written by yes. Lennon McCartney. Yes. Now it's like uh, Lennon McCartney, Crosby, Stills, Nash yeah. & Young. You know, it's like, yes. it's like a whole bunch there. So I, I found this, this article super interesting because we saw it coming a little bit with the Olivia Rodrigo, but I didn't put two and two together, you know, like you mentioned, where this makes a lot of sense for hypnosis, mm-hmm. uh, primary wave, BMG, et cetera. 
Oh, yeah. And, you know, it, I wanted to mention something about these. So this is, you know, this article, as we mentioned, starts off with this kind of workshop that that primary wave and the others have kind of put together. I was actually at a dinner party two weeks ago, and I bumped into a guy who, who I'd never met before, but I knew of him. And I knew of him because he was in a band in the 90s that was they had moved to LA and they had a, they had a, a self-released record that I really liked. And a friend of mine was kind of trying to manage them. And, and so, it, 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 and the, the songs were really catchy. They never got really signed that nothing really happened to them. But he told me at this party, he is now a very successful songwriter. And he said he, he had signed a publishing deal back in the day. They couldn't get an album deal, but he got a publishing deal. And uh, he got invited to a workshop by his publishing company, back in like 1997 and he's like he had never been to one because his songwriting process up to that point was he would just sit in the room by himself and write a song and he goes to this workshop and uh i want to say it was put on by island but i don't know if the island had a publishing it must i I can't remember now the details of of who it was but he said it was the first time he ever saw as you had liked to you know say seeing the sausage being made with other people and he's like he 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 goes like i sat down with these people who i knew of super famous songwriters he's like and here i am just this knucklehead from the midwest and he said and suddenly they are kind of tossing out song ideas many of which are incredibly bad and he's like well i can throw out some bad ideas just as well (laughs) as anybody else here and so it was the first time though and that put him on a completely different path for his career and now he he does these collaborative things and he writes you know uh, for movies and for disney programming and things like that but the songwriting workshops apparently have been going for a very long time, but this is a very different spin on it where publishers yeah. come in, copyright owners and holders, and say, okay, start with this yeah, and see where it goes. Yeah, so you're it's right. The it's the new music business, without a doubt. It's publishers, um, but it's also PROs get involved in that, you know, ASCAP, BMI, mm-hmm. CSAC. And, uh, you know, just to put a ribbon on this story, it's such an interesting piece. I highly recommend it. But, you know, I, I talk to you a lot about um, the Accidentals. They have recorded two EPs. One's out, the other one's coming, um, called Time Out, where they did it basically over Zoom, where they wow. co-wrote these songs with their favorite artists. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. I remember the story so, you told to me. Yeah. So they... They're, they get on, you know, with one of the writers at least, they get on a weekly Zoom and bounce ideas. And sometimes things turn out really amazing. And sometimes, you know, it takes a little bit more time. But it's, it's the new music business, as you mentioned, that now, especially when you've gotten these people who are buying up all these rights, they want to exploit that. They want to monetize that. Absolutely. And this is yeah. a key way to do that. But it's also, but it's also you know, have, has huge elements in in the old music business. And you and I have talked about the great, one of the best music documentaries of all time, the the one on the Eagles. And there's a great line in there where um, they talk, uh, they were talking about one of them lived either above or below Jackson Brown in an apartment. Yeah. And it was when they were just learning to be songwriters. And they said, he said they, they I think it was they Glenn listen, Fry. It was Glenn Fry saying, that's right. And he's, he remembers, you know, they could hear uh, Jackson Brown get up in the morning, make his tea and sit down at the piano. And at the time he was working on Doctor My Eyes. And he's like, it just over and over and Work. over. And Glenn Fry said, That's how you do it. Elbow grease. You just get up and you just do it every day. And and it is 
it is inspiration, but it's perspiration as well. Absolutely. The, the final line in this, in this piece is key. It says, the wonderful thing about you know, where we're at today, uh, when you make a record, there's no shelf life now. If you yeah. make a great quality record, it might not ignite that fire immediately, but I believe that if, you know, if the hit's there, it will find its audience at some point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah super yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. All right. Well, let's jump to the next one. And, you know, we, we have talked about on this, uh, on, on the show every now and again, there are, well, there, all the articles that you, you put in the newsletter are so fantastic Thanks. and it can be overwhelming, but occasionally there is the principal article that needs to go in the stack. Yeah. And I've got my little stack sitting here on my digital yep. piano of, of certain articles. This next one is that, and yeah. this is in simple. Yeah. from Anthony Pacheco, yeah. and it's Music Analytics, The Definitive Guide. Uh, and it's it's so well done. Yeah. Um, Near and, and dear to my heart. Oh my goodness, it's just a, uh, it's, it's, it's just that. It is the definitive guide of things that you need to think about and the different kind of buckets or the different silos yeah. of music analytics. Yeah, and I love this stuff so much, and it's such a big part of what I do uh, for my job and my company. And uh, I know Anthony, he's a great guy. Simple is a really cool platform if you haven't mm -hmm. checked it out. It's the word simple without an E at the end of it. Um, and I think you just go to, I think it's oddly simple, um, the website. But anyway, uh, Anthony Pacheco, he's been on the Music Biz Weekly podcast. We really dig what he's doing to kind of help uh, developing artists. Um, and when it comes to music and data, I, I reached out to him after he sent me this piece and had a, um, an exchange with him about some other platforms and things because you could write a whole book on this stuff. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to go through, uh, because when I, when I meet with artist managers, uh, typically they look at data surrounding touring or they'll look at data surrounding commerce and, and there's so much more. So I just wanted to cover a, a few areas really quick. And then if you have any questions, you know, feel free to chime in. But one of the things we always ask people is, you know, what are you doing with the data? Because there's, there's basically three buckets of data. There is, you know, the commerce, sales streams and downloads. And we'll get mm -hmm. into that in a second. Then there is, you know, the butts in the seats, you know, uh, on, the, on the touring side. And then the other one is for socials, um, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Those are kind of general buckets. And there's a lot of things that you can do um, with that data. And, and we'll go into a couple of those, but I just wanted to kind of recap what Anthony's put in this piece and then we can kind of drill down into each area. Um, but you can get data from your website, you know, Google analytics, and mm -hmm. there's some really great insights. You can tell, you know, where people go on your website, you know, where they, maybe where they've come from and maybe some demo information on them. So your website, smart URLs that we talk about all the time, you know, um, your link fire, your smart URL, your feature FM, all of those great links. What's great about those is you can look and see, well, I've got this landing page that has, you know, Spotify, Apple music, Pandora, Deezer, all of this. Where are my fans going? Are they buying physical? Are they still doing downloads? Probably not. Um, if they're doing streaming, where are they going? Um, you can find out all of that information from smart URLs, which is really helpful. Socials, that's the obvious one that you can look on the back end of, 
you know, Facebook analytics and all of that and get not only information about what your fans are doing, but how they compare to the market in general. Right. So that's really important. Video platforms like YouTube, you can get some crazy great uh, data uh, from YouTube, um, uh, YouTube studio. Um, we talked about commerce. So Apple music for artists, Spotify music for artists, Amazon music for artists, all of those platforms provide some really interesting data on how people are listening to your music. Um, and, and it's key. And those numbers are global, which is really great. And if you have Apple music for artists, Apple owns Shazam. So you can see what's happening with Shazams. And without going too far down the rabbit hole, I love seeing uh, where my artist's songs are Shazammed, but they don't tell you it was the coffee shop on Third Street. They just say it was in Omaha, Nebraska. You know what I right. mean? Yes. Uh, someday I would love to see, you know, like, <laughs> right. where, are they, where are they doing this? And then a couple of just really quickly, um, distributor dashboards. Like if you use, uh, you know, um, the Orchard or um, InGrooves, ADA, all of the distributors have a dashboard of one sort uh, or another uh, that you can look at and get some really good insights on what's going on uh, with your music and how it's performing. And then the last part of it, and he touches on these in this article, you know, we, we talk about regularly these data platforms like Chartmetric, uh, Vibrate, uh, Soundcharts. Uh, he brings up SongStats. And then, you know, those platforms you can just subscribe to and look at data, not just on your music, but other mm -hmm. people's music. Others, yeah. And then the one that um, uh, maybe if you're not in the industry, one that you might miss is MRC Connect, which is the artist formerly known as Nielsen SoundScan. That's right. They've been in this for a long time. But what, what's really great about this article is he kind of breaks it down. He says, you know, in this article, you will learn what music analytics are and why they are important. Uh, the different data sources, like Jay was talking about, you can use to view your analytics. How to organize your music data, which is super, super important. Uh, then talked about Spotify for artists, overview and setup, Apple Music, and then how to use your data to grow the audience. So it's really laid out in a super, super um, organized fashion. It's very uh, bite-sized yeah. chunks. And, um, yeah. I, you know, and I'm not, I'm the, I'm the opposite of Jay. <laughs> <laughs> Data makes my head spin, and and uh, yeah, it's it's not my thing. But man, it's this this article is so well done and yeah. so well laid out. And yeah. if it if it if I can understand it, then it's it's a successful article and really worth printing out. And and the last one that you pointed out on that list that you just uh, recited, um, how to use your data to grow your audience. If you take away nothing from this piece, yes, that's the key because there's that old joke, you know, um, about data and analytics that it's like a lamppost. You can use it to lean on or you can use right. it to illuminate. A lot of people use data to go, see, I told you, you know, yes. that's, they're leaning on it. What we like to do is look at the data and see what we didn't know. And then the other part of it is look and look for spikes either way. Is something overperforming all of a sudden or underperforming? Find out why. If you're looking at your Apple Music uh, for artists and you see some big spike on a certain day, go look at your socials. What's going on with your socials? Was there a you know a press release or was there, you know, sometimes you can find that your song has been, you know, maybe you landed a sync that you weren't even aware of. Mm -hmm. We've seen that happen before, yeah. and all of a sudden it's there. But I think that's key: is like how to use your data to grow your audience. Because look. It's so much harder for musicians today, bands, managers, 
because it's not just about writing great songs and you know performing. Um, it's you have to do socials and you have to look at your analytics and you have to you know learn about your audience. But I will tell you those audiences that I pointed out, you know the the commerce, the touring, uh, the socials, they are rarely 100% aligned. And there's always something that you can learn from that. Most artists that you talk to or managers, they'll say, I know who my audience is. It's this demographic. But when mm -hmm. you look in the data, it's never just that. There, there's yeah. so much more to learn. And there's so many great tools. And we could talk about, you know, um, this piece forever. I mean, there's so much to cover here. Um, but it's the music industry has shifted. It's the new music industry. And now we we can look in at the data and learn from it and adjust our business. Yeah, and but this is really super I mean I I can't uh I can't compliment it enough on how logically it is laid out uh and it's got downloads and links and it's just really really well written and it's um if if a if a person like myself can look at it and and make sense of it in terms of data, then I think it's it's worthwhile for just about everybody, especially yeah. artists. I mean, and, and that's <clears throat> you know we've talked about when really data. You know, back in the in our day, in the early days of 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 our business, it was you know there was not nowhere there was very little data, and the data that existed was kind of you know people telling people things, or you'd ask questions and they would report out and. Boy, you've come a long way since then. Well, remember and those? What were those cards called? We used to put in CDs. Um, these uh, little like, I forget, like like a yeah, what, like a. You'd put these cards in with a little questionnaire, and you'd get yeah. maybe three percent of them back if you were lucky, and that gave you a little bit of information on on teensy bit of data. Yeah, but I do you remember when the original Napster launched and it just turned the industry upside down and it. People were trying to either kill it or strike a deal with it in the case of BMG. Um, but I, I had the opportunity to go up and meet with them um, when, when that was all going down. And the one thing I took away from that meeting was for the first time in the history of the music industry, we had a really good view of what our customers were listening to. Yeah. Um, there were companies, you know, like... Uh, Eric Garland's Big Champagne, Big Champagne, you know, yeah. where we could look at by DMA, designated marketing area, we could look and see what people were actually file trading. Now, I know that upset a lot of people, but there were also labels saying, well, I don't want to choose this single when everybody in these markets is actually listening to this track. Yeah. It really changed the business. But that meeting I was referencing with Napster, when I, I remember on the flight home, I was just blown away that we, again, for the first time, we could see that, you know, people who listen to Metallica also listen to a lot of Lyle Lovett. We should put them on the road together. That sounds absurd because they're such different types of music, but it illustrates the point that up until that point, we didn't know what the people who were listening to Metallica, what they really listened to. And since then, we found out that they're very diverse. Um, there are certain genres where people only listen to jazz or they only listen to classics, but very few people only listen to, you know, hard rock or rock. They typically have a lot of other genres and moods uh, in their library. 
And and it, especially looking back at it now, and that was really only about eight years or so after the introduction of SoundScan. And SoundScan was the first time when people Good started point. to see, yeah. oh, wait a minute, country is super popular all over the country? Yeah, it's like, yeah, as a matter of fact, it is. And and so, you know, so <clears throat> that kind of turned the light on in the room. And, and, but then when, when file trading and all that stuff started happening, then, yeah, that was another aha moment that... You know, it was it was it was the road to to where we are now with yeah. in terms of data and all that stuff. So yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because that you're absolutely right. Uh, in in 1991, uh, SoundScan started, and we started to see what was actually being sold, as mm-hmm. opposed to what people reported uh, was being uh, sold, and. You know, we we talked about that before. It was not a good system. Uh, it wasn't an. It was <laughs> not it a accurate. system as a compliment. Yeah, it wasn't really a system. So exactly. My favorite one was a story you told about the person who could see the charts or the numbers ahead oh. of time, and then would call somebody and say, "Hey, I can get you in the top five. Just a little." <laughs> when it already was in the top five, oh, it just God. hadn't been published yet. That's right. <laughs> Sometimes I'm embarrassed. Well, Exactly, but business. big, huge points to Anthony and Simple for cranking yeah. Thank out, you, Anthony. So. To to be continued, but uh, check out the the piece, print it out, uh, keep that in your binder. Um, really great information there, and check out uh, Simple. Um, his, uh, by the way, Anthony is the founder um, of this online marketing platform called Simple, and they're they're pretty cool. Yeah, very very cool stuff. So this next article is out of the UK, um, uh, Musicians Union. Uh, which is musiciansunion.org.uk. Uh, um, really, boy, <clears throat> you know, you, you hope that we're 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 being better about this. But this is uh, this is a hashtag. This is not working. Call from musicians and music industry workforce for abuse to end. A new report reveals sexual harassment and abuse remain rife in the music industry despite the Me Too movement. Uh, this uh, this a group is calling on government and music industry organizations to protect musicians and other workers from victimization and harassment. Yeah. Now you said this was based in the UK, and it is. And I hadn't heard of Musicians Union, but I can tell you that this is rampant everywhere. I have yeah. several female clients, and I hear about horror stories about how uh, they're treated, um, and I'm thrilled that, that this organization is trying to help and I think the awareness about it uh, will help but this has got to stop if you go to musiciansunion.org.uk to their website uh, I wanted to see what kind of their mandate was and and I thought it was beautiful they said you know we stand up for employed and self-employed musicians working in every area of the UK music industry, including music education, by the way. We work to maximize the employment and overall income of musicians, as well as protecting and improving working conditions. That's key. We also offer advice, support, and legal assistance based on every individual member's needs. We lobby government at all levels and campaign on a national and international scale on issues of relevance to our members. And here's the key part, too. Uh, We actively oppose all forms of harassment, prejudice, and unfair discrimination, whether on the grounds of sex, race, ethnic, or national origin, religion, color, class, caring responsibilities, marital status, sexuality, disability, age, or other status or personal characteristic. Um, I love what they're all about. Um, I'm telling you, um, being on the road with female artists, you see it firsthand. If there is a male in, in the group, 
the promoter or uh, club manager will go directly to the male, typically, uh, to ask questions. If you're a female manager, and I work with some very um, strong female managers, it's it's comical how they're mansplained and attempted bullying. And you think today that we've learned our lesson and things are better. And in some ways, maybe they are. But let's not kid ourselves. It's It's not good out there, especially no. in the music side. They mentioned here, in just three years, we've received hundreds of reports. Uh, prior to the pandemic, a poll of its members by the uh, Musicians Union uh, revealed 48% of musicians have experienced some form of sexual harassment at work. 58% have witnessed an incident of sexual harassment while at work. 10% had witnessed incidents of sexual harassment on a regular basis. So if that doesn't uh, put an exclamation point on the on the issue that we need to continue to, to make this better. I don't know what does. Those yeah. are staggering numbers. Yeah. It's, it's so important that we talk about this. We're aware of it. And we, we put a stop to it. You know, there was a great quote from singer songwriter, uh, Rebecca Ferguson. Uh, she said, what we're talking about here is injustice an imbalance of power and people using their power and their position to abuse people with less power. It's not an, it's, it's, it's not good enough. We, we need to be able to call these things out for what they are with no fear or it will never change. So we'll be following this uh, closely. Uh, I hope there's more um, regarding this. It just needs to be uh, taken out of the shadows and we need to talk about it and be aware of it. Um, and it's just got to stop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, worthwhile piece for re- to read for sure. And um, like you said, there's there's a lot more work to be done. And as they say, you know, we, we have normalized abuse for too yeah. long, and it needs to stop. So that that really is the is the is the key takeaway. It's this sort of normalized abuse. It's just the way it is. Well, yeah, yeah. It can't be that way. Yeah, it can't be that way. So, yeah. all right. The last story, Jay, very interesting. This is from Android Authority. And we have talked, of course, about high resolution audio for a long time. And yeah. so this is a really good piece uh, talking about lossless music streaming. Do you really need it? Um, one of the good things is they do kind of explain, <clears throat> again, because it's, such, it's an area that is fraught with confusion, because yeah. lots of people's definition of what what high quality audio is is different from everybody else's right and to be fair yeah. i call you you know when when i'm <laughs> typically and i when, call others yeah. you know when i want to know about this stuff i typically call you because you can uh you can explain it in layman's terms and i think that's a problem with high quality audio it's confusing to a lot of people there's a lot of jargon there's a lot of numbers that you don't know is that good is you know is 198 better than 128 is it where 194 and just looking at the table of contents and i would love to get your take on this because when i first saw this piece i i I knew i had to put it in your morning coffee and i knew that you and i would be talking about it but just in the table of uh, contents they talk about lossless audio and explained right and Mm -hmm. you do that with me a lot um, lossless streaming services. You know, we talk about things like Tidal and Cobuzz and Amazon and all of that, and mastered for iTunes. And then something you taught me about, which is kind of the Bluetooth audio quality limitations, right? That if you're yeah. using, well, I'll let you speak to it, but I wasn't aware of the fact that if I've got these cool Bluetooth headphones, might not be the best thing for me to use for the high quality stuff. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, ultimately they say is loss of streaming worthwhile. And I mean, I think, uh, you know, without 
going getting too deep into the weeds, I think one of the great things that the article points out is there there are so many one of the problems one of the confusions for many is you know it, it it's not a simple explanation because there are so many elements in the process that can mess it up. Let me just add one thing to that and then yeah. I'll, there's there's a saying that we have in the music industry if you're explaining you're losing. And <laughs> it's true. What you just pointed out if if I've got to sit there and explain it to people there's got to be a simpler way like i i noticed in this article and you you know this but i didn't like lossy is different than lossless mm-hmm. they, they sound pretty close they do sound pretty close but they are very different um you you <laughs> who else but i i to go back where i was what i before, where i was losing <laughs> <laughs> in terms of trying to explain, sorry, uh, I I think the problem with with the whole co- topic is that there are so many elements in it that can affect it, and so it's there's no clean explanation. The thing that you mentioned, you know, one of the biggest limitations of of high resolution audio is that for most of us now are listening on Bluetooth, and Bluetooth is not good when it comes to really high resolution audio and that's a problem it's a huge problem the next iterations will probably be better but ultimately <clears throat> you know your system in many ways determines the quality of audio you're listening to ah, but then even you go sense. back you go back even further you know how did they record it and what kind of music is it is it um, is it music that has lots of nuances in it is it does it have lots of dynamics if it's just in your face you know, metalcore music, is that going to matter? Not likely, you know, but if it's something, again, more nuanced, like a Stevie Wonder ballad or a Bruno Mars, you know, song with lots of ups and downs, that's when you can really hear quality audio. So it's really, really hard to have the discussion because there are so many components of it. And they are, while, while each individual component is relatively easy to explain, when you kind of string it all together, it's like, wait a minute, what? What are we? You know, it's 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 a very difficult conversation, but it's worth having because you know you and I grew up in in an era playing music, and when ultimately an artist would like their fans to hear the music as close to the way they created it as possible, and so that to me has always driven my interest in high resolution audio and I know lots of artists want that as well. And so we're getting closer to having lots of choices for it. <clears throat> but we're not there yet. Yeah. And it's super laid out really well. Again, they they talk about lossless and what that is. And you know, you you when you talk about all of this stuff, you talk about compression because it's if if we are streaming something that is super high quality, it's a lot of data that you're stuffing through the system, and that ends up costing people somewhere in the value chain. And so you do have to use compression, and so they talk a lot about that in, in this article. So compression reduces the file size, but also mm-hmm. re- reduces in some way or another the quality because you're losing certain information. Like a, an MP3, at uh, not to get too technical, but like a 192 kilobits per second, that's not going to sound like the wave file. Whenever we deliver things from the studio, we're delivering uh, these high res, uncompressed, uncompressed, uncompressed like wave right. files. And honestly, for me, I I'll listen to a great song on a scratchy AM radio. I'm not an audiophile, but 
when I hear it, I know it. And, you know, you and I have sat in recording studios and you you listen to it and Ugh. you're like, oh, God. It's, That's what it's supposed to sound you, like. You hear things differently and you feel things differently when you're in that environment. But, you know, the bottom line is a lot of, uh, of these codecs, compression, decompression systems, they throw away some bits. So to make the file is, smaller, right? To make the file size small, exactly. So that's that is really, um, you know, what a lot of these articles talk about is, you know, the the lossless versus lossy. What are you throwing away? Do you should it have been kept? Is there, is there, you know, how how, are, how is it being delivered? And, and everybody is taking like in life, you know, yeah. you have to take, you have to you have to make some compromises. So yeah. are the compromises worth it or not? Um, and you know, it's it's a conversation that will continue, and we're getting again closer to to uh, you know. You, you, at some point, we have ways of of somehow listening to songs that artists that we like that is pretty close to what they would have heard in the studio. Yeah, but we're not there yet. But like you said, to some people it doesn't matter. But I will also point out that as an industry, we've done a crappy job of educating consumers on why they should be interested or at least know about it and yeah. understand it. Yeah. And when you do focus group testings and you play uh, immersive audio and, and high resolution audio in general, people, when you point out yeah. what to listen to and how to listen to it, yeah. they get it and they hear it. I think that's changing. I think that with Amazon uh, doing what they're doing with uh, HD um, and I think, you know, Spotify is coming, but I noticed that across the board, pretty much, you know, when you're looking at Tidal and Cobuzz and Amazon Music HD and Apple Music, they're, they're all this, something you had mentioned before, which is this 24-bit. Um, mm -hmm. And that seems to be kind of this new industry standard uh, for HD. Yeah, so, and so CDs were 16-bit. And I was kind of, you, when you talk about bits like that, to me, it's kind of like if I ask you to, to, to draw a picture and I give you 16 crayons versus 24 crayons, you're going to be able to draw a more accurate picture with 24 crayons than you are with 16 crayons. That's a pretty super simple description. But, you know, when, you, when you're recording in a recording studio, in a digital workstation, digital environment, they're using 24-bit uh, files. And so you want it to be 24-bit files for sure to, to, to get into the realm of, of the audio quality that we're talking about. You know, high resolution audio, yeah. and, and you know, if you look at this list, you'll see that Deezer has a, has something they call Hi-Fi, which is sixteen bit forty four one kilohertz. That is CD quality. Now, CD quality is good; it's better than many streaming services. Their standard their standard delivery stuff, but I would it's not what I would call high resolution audio. So, the, even the terms are confusing. Yeah. you know, so it's that's and again that's that's really part of the problem of understanding all of this. So it's a really good overview of re, you know this article, and it kind of talks about a lot of the the, the things the the problems that, that this world faces. Um, but again, it's also when you talk about Bluetooth, you know, there's always there there's a weak weak link in all these chains, and so that's kind of part of it is identifying what it yeah, is. Yeah, that makes sense. Currently, Bluetooth is the big. Yeah, it really. I'd is. like to see all of the services kind of follow suit with what Amazon's uh, started, and that is you just make that HD ubiquitous. You just make it your service, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And Apple was early on, you know, with Mastered for, Mastered for iTunes. Um, I, I think that you don't want to give a choice if, because if given the choice, especially if someone has to pay more or has to get a different device, I think you lose people. But if you just make it the standard, 
where it's the best quality you can possibly get and not make people have to learn what the difference is between the different kilobits per second and megahertz and sizes and things like that. That's that's a niche uh, group of people, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. But on that note, Jay, it's time to wrap up. Can you believe it? Episode number 57. As hard as that is to believe, it goes so fast on a Sunday for yeah. us. And we, we certainly appreciate and enjoy everything. I do want to, of course, thank our sponsors because we are so blessed. So TiVo Music, uh, TiVo Music Metadata, we've got our good friends over at Banzoogle, yeah. Hypebot, and Bands in Town. They make it so Thanks, easy Bruce. for us, and we really appreciate it. And if you haven't subscribed to the newsletter, boy, you better get over there to yourmorning.coffee and subscribe because Jay puts a ton of time into it. And it's like having that smart kid in class that will give you his notes. <laughs> That's Jay Gilbert. So make sure you uh, you hang around that smart kid and subscribe to the newsletter because it makes, uh, you know, you want to be the smartest guy in that meeting. And uh, Jay helps you be that. So on that note, we want to thank everyone for listening in because we do know that you have many choices to uh, to listen to podcasts. And we appreciate your sure time to listen to us. Yes, we do. And on that note, we will be back next week with our episode 58. So thank you for listening. This has been the Your Morning, Pod- your morning Coffee Podcast. We will see you next week. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.